$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be continuing coverage of the Judge Rotenberg Center in Canton, Massachusetts. Let's get right to it. In the last two episodes, we've taken a look back into the history of Matthew Israel and his obsession with physical adversives, Judith Weber, and how the Behavior Research Institute became what is now known as Judge Rotenberg Center. We've talked about several deaths, numerous accounts of abuse, the invention of the SIBIS, the graduated electronic decelerator, and the GED4. And that one time, two teenage boys were shocked repeatedly over a prank call. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you might want to skip back three episodes and start from the beginning. We've got a whole lot going on here, and I wouldn't want you to miss a thing. We left off in August of 2007 with that prank call that led to 77 GED shocks and second-degree burns for one student and 29 shocks for another, and the firing of seven JRC staff members. One might possibly assume that this is the time government officials and legislators took a good look at exactly what was going on and put a stop to, at the very least, the electric shocks. But everybody knows what happens when you assume. According to the Taunton Gazette, in 2010, a lawsuit was filed by the parents of a 17-year-old former student at the Judge Rotenberg Center claiming the treatment the teen received at JRC was inhumane and violated the student's civil rights. The family admittedly signed off for their child to be put on the GED program years earlier, believing that GED shocks would only be used if their son were a danger to himself or others. But that simply wasn't the case. They had been duped. The family attorney spoke to the Totten Gazette, stating, There was a whole list of criteria by which he would be shocked. If he just said no to a directive, they would shock him. If he failed to pay attention to a directive, they would shock him. 
The executive director and founder of JRC, Matthew Israel, also spoke to the outlet. Quote, what emerges from this case is an articulation from a wide range of experts and JRC parents themselves that while this therapy is not intended for everyone, it is life-saving and highly effective as a strategy to control violent and self-destructive behaviors. I mean, obviously, this therapy isn't for everyone. In fact, the Judge Rotenberg Center is the only school shocking its students. The family and the Judge Rotenberg Center reached an agreement and the family received a $65,000 settlement. And Mr. Executive Director Matthew Israel wouldn't be in charge of the school for too much longer, at least not on paper. I mean, we do know from reports way back when JRC was still the Behavior Research Institute that this administration has a history of hiring sham administrators while Israel still called the shots. Anyhow, in May of 2011, a special grand jury convened in a Massachusetts courtroom and indicted Matthew Israel on criminal charges, accessory after the fact, and misleading an investigator or a witness. The charges stem from that 2007 prank call. See, the state's attorney's office had already been investigating Matthew Israel and the Judge Rotenberg Center due to the prank call. According to the attorney general at the time, Martha Coakley, quote, two students received improper skin shock treatments resulting in injuries to both students. Seemingly afraid of the repercussions, if that video were to be seen by anyone outside of JRC, including government officials, the state attorney alleged that Matthew Israel had obstructed justice by ordering a staff member to destroy the video evidence. But Israel, through his lawyers, refuted that claim. According to Patch.com, Matthew Israel's lawyers stated he had cooperated fully and went on to say, quote, The tapes were destroyed only after the investigators had conducted an exit interview with JRC personnel and only after Dr. Israel was informed that the investigation was complete, with no adverse action to be taken. But the state was able to recover the video and build a case against Israel. And while I'd love to report to you that Matthew Israel spent a little time restrained himself in a jail cell, that's not what happened. A deal was quickly struck between Israel and the state attorney. Israel entered a sentencing agreement for pretrial probation. The conditions? Five years probation and resignation from his position as the executive director of the Judge Rotenberg Center, effective June 1st, 2011. Coakley's office stated to the outlet, he will be prohibited from working for the JRC or serving as a member of its board of directors. He was ordered to serve probation for five years. Should Israel violate the terms of his probation, he could be further prosecuted. Massachusetts Senator Brian Joyce also spoke out, quote, For 40 years, Matthew Israel has profited by and made a career of preying on the most vulnerable of our citizens, our disabled children. In just the past 10 years, Israel's JRC spent over $15 million on lawyers. Members of my own profession 
to protect an enterprise that generated over $400 million in revenue during that same period. That career is now brought to a shameful end. All this again, according to Patch.com. The King of Shock had finally been dethroned. And while advocates for the disabled, former staff and students, and members of the general public celebrated, parents of some of the students at JRC protested right there on the courthouse steps. One man yelling out, None of us feel safer with Dr. Israel not there. Another screaming, You don't have a kid there. There were roughly 20 people, mostly family members of students, there in support of Israel according to the patriotledger.com. So Israel packed it up and headed out to California and his wife, Judith Weber. And y'all remember old Judith was running a couple schools of her own, right? She had Tobin World, Tobin World 2, and Tobin World 3. It would only be a matter of time before Israel was busted working as a behavior analyst over there without proper paperwork. But let's not jump ahead too far. With Israel gone, JRC needed a new leader. Enter Glinda Crooks, the new and current executive director of the Judge Rotenberg Center. And while the title executive director was new, Glinda certainly was not new to JRC. Hell, she'd been around since Moses was a toddler. Okay, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but according to her LinkedIn, she has been working at JRC since February of 1990, and she had worked directly under Matthew Israel. And if you thought things would change with a new leader in charge, well, you'd be wrong. Sure, old Glenda may have made a policy change here or there, but to this very day, Judge Rotenberg Center relies almost entirely on the use of physical adversives to change behavior. Same shit, different day. But soon, the entire world would get a good sobering look at exactly how horrific electric skin shock treatment really was. In April of 2012, the Judge Rotenberg Center would be back in the spotlight again for all the wrong reasons. Cheryl McCollins sued JRC on behalf of her son, Andrew McCollins, for medical malpractice. The suit stemmed from an incident in 2002 when Andre, a former student, had been shocked 31 times in a single day. But surely JRC could explain that away. Andre must have been incredibly violent and in trying to hurt someone, right? Well, no, not by a long shot. Let's travel on back to the evening of October 25, 2002, when Andre's mother Cheryl received a phone call. According to nymag.com, it was Andre's caseworker who uttered five words to Cheryl on the phone that evening that would change everything. Andre had a bad day. Cheryl pressed for details. What had happened? Was Andre okay? The caseworker informed Cheryl that Andre had an uncontrolled episode and was administered 31 GED shocks. Cheryl was beside herself. I mean, she had given her permission for Andre to go on the treatment program, but this was never what she had in mind. She was just trying to help and protect her son. See, Andre had been diagnosed with a number of things, an intellectual disability, autism, ADHD, impulse control, and conduct disorder. 
At times, when he got upset, he would kick, hit, or break things. He had been placed in two residential homes prior to JRC. In his last placement, when he was a teen, Andre had been sexually assaulted by another boy. Cheryl had contacted the Board of Education in New York to get help finding a new school, and she was told all about the Judge Rotenberg Center. So she scheduled a visit, and she was blown away. It was a far cry from an institution. The school was well-decorated. There was the yellow brick road, complete with a movie theater, big reward store, the contract store, teen lounge, hair salon, internet cafe, video games, arcade games, and a pool table. Students could have access to all of this if they just stuck to their program. They could also earn field trips with their favorite staff. Everything was so bright and cheery. And if Andre became a student, he'd be living in a beautiful home instead of a dorm. But the best part? There were surveillance cameras everywhere. Andre would be safe. She wouldn't have to fear that he would be victimized again. And that's all Cheryl wanted for her son, for him to be safe and happy. This seemed perfect. The more she learned, the more perfect it became. She was told about the program and how the shock device worked. Shown those before and after videos of the students' transformations after being hooked up to the GED electrodes? Cheryl spoke to Jennifer Gorman, who wrote that article for NY Mag. I was so excited. I was like, he's going to be cured. This can really stop all those behaviors, the aggression, and he won't break up my furniture. He won't fight. Yes, this device does it. I was like, wow, you're kidding. Why didn't anyone tell me about this before? Andre McCollins was placed at JRC in February of 2001 when he was 16 years old. Once he arrived, he was taken off his Risperdal, which according to WebMD, is an atypical antipsychotic used to treat mental or mood disorders. Remember, Israel didn't so much believe in psychotropic medication. But Andre started displaying bizarre behaviors, and the decision was made to put him back on his medication. In March of 2002, he was court-approved to go on the electric shock program. His behavior plan included 29 shockable behaviors, anything from kicking or biting to screaming or tensing his body. Once Andre was hooked up to the electrodes, a psychiatrist at the school again weaned him off his Risperdal. And surprise, surprise, the bizarre behaviors started to return. On a trip home to celebrate his 18th birthday, his mom noticed that Andre was talking to himself more and more and displaying odd behaviors. It was also odd, in fact, that Cheryl cut the trip short and spoke to Andre's case manager, stating, I know you don't believe in medication here, but Andre needs his medication. All again according to that article in NY Mag. Eight days later, Cheryl got that phone call. Andre had a bad day. That was Friday evening. She tossed and turned all night worried about her son. The following day, she called and asked to speak to him. She could hear the terror in his voice as he stuttered, saying, I'm sorry. Help me. Andre didn't usually stutter. What the hell had happened? She called again on Sunday. This time, Andre didn't stutter. He didn't speak. He just sobbed on the phone. 
The following morning, she hopped in her car and headed to Canton from her home in New York. And when she got to Andre, all her fears were confirmed. There was her son slumped in a chair, not moving, in restraints with his wrist secured to his waist. She screamed his name, but he didn't even turn his head. She moved her hand in front of his face. He didn't even blink. She screamed, he's catatonic. She loaded Andre up, which required the help of three JRC staff members, and rushed him to a Boston Children's Hospital. He was admitted and diagnosed with acute stress response. Andre would spend the next 37 days in the hospital. Cheryl spent the next days getting to the bottom of exactly what had happened to her son. She, her sister, and a friend headed down to JRC the day after Andre was admitted into the hospital and demanded to see the video. Cheryl was well aware of that 24-hour video monitoring. I mean, it played a huge factor in why she had chosen JRC in the first place. She was taken into a conference room, joined by four staffers and Andre's psychologist. They pressed play, and what Cheryl McCollins saw on that videotape was horrifying. According to NYMAG and Andre's recording sheet, which was obtained by Autistic Hoya, it all started at breakfast when, quote, Andre sat at the dining room table and quietly talked to himself, made grimacing faces, and did subtle karate moves. After breakfast, he was taken from his JRC-ran residential home to the school, and somewhere along the ride, he received five GED shocks for allegedly hitting a staff member. Andre was then placed in waist and leg restraints with a helmet on his head. He would spend the next 30 minutes restrained, according to his treatment plan. As far as I can tell, there's no video footage of the incident on the ride to school or Andre's 30 minutes in restraints. If it does exist, it hasn't been released to the public. The surveillance footage picks up at 9.33 a.m. with two staff members escorting him into classroom 15. Andre sat down at his desk facing his computer his back to his teacher. He was told, Andre, take off your jacket. He didn't move. Take off your jacket, please. Again, he didn't move. So they shocked him. He screamed and fell to the ground and attempted to crawl under his desk. Four staff members grabbed him and held him down until his psychologist brought in the restraint board. He was placed on the board face down, still wearing a helmet, his wrist and ankles then strapped to the board. At this point, he had three electrodes on his body. I mean, he wore that backpack with those electrodes 24-7. He had already received six shocks, five for allegedly hitting the staff and one more in the classroom for refusing to take his jacket off. He was completely helpless and fully restrained. It's now 9.55 a.m. Andre receives another shock. He cried out, no, don't do that. 10.09, shock. I'm sorry. 10.11, shocked again. Sorry. 10.21, shock. I won't do it again. 10.22, another GED shock. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 1023. Shock. Help. 
10.30, shocked again. No, please. 11.11, shock. Stop, stop. 11.15, two more electrodes are added for a total of five. He is shocked again for screaming. Andre cried out in pain. 11.20, another shock. Help, help. 11.25, shocked for screaming. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Staff frequently rotated the electrodes in order to prevent burns on Andre's skin. At some point, he was placed in a diaper so the torture, I mean treatment, could continue. 125, shocked for tensing up. His case manager said to him, Andre, no full body tense ups. No one consoled him and no one told him he was going to be okay. They just continued to administer the shocks and speak to him in those phrases. Andre, no yelling. Andre, no full body tense ups. 129, shocked for tensing up. Ow, that hurts. 132, Andre, no yelling. 304, 305, 307, 310, shocks for tensing up. Andre cried out. 312, shocked for screaming. Staff at this point have lost track of the number of shocks. One staff member asked, Martin, what is he at now? I think 26, he responded. 314, another shock for screaming. Help me, help me. 322, two shocks, one for tensing, one for screaming. Andre cried out again in pain. Help me, help. Two final shocks delivered at 3.24. At 3.48 p.m., Dr. Matthew Israel walked in, arms folded. He observed Andre from a distance and then ordered his employees to stop the shocks. Andre was still restrained on the board. The staff attempted to calm him down with a new behavior plan and offer of rewards. You want some French toast and bacon? You want orange juice? Do you want some soda? Andre cried, no, no, no. Andre was removed from the board at 4.20. He was placed on a chair, but still not himself. He wouldn't eat, drink, or speak. Cheryl McCollins watched this all unfold before her own eyes in that conference room. Her son had been shocked 31 times over seven hours, face down and restrained. She boiled inside. At first, she didn't even understand what Andre was being shocked for. Tensing up, this didn't make any sense. Each time she witnessed her son getting shocked for crying out or for tensing his body, the anger swelled up in her. Her sister nudged her under the table. They knew if the school officials realized just how angry she was, they might destroy the evidence. I mean, they sure do have a habit of that, now don't they? Cheryl contacted law enforcement attorneys and anyone who would listen. She couldn't have known at the time, but she would be fighting for justice for her son for 10 long years. But Cheryl's fight wouldn't be in vain because the world was about to get a glimpse of the therapy at Judge Rotenberg Center. For years, JRC had fought to keep that video out of the sight of the public, and a judge had sealed it years ago. 
But in April of 2012, the judge presiding over Andre's case allowed it to be played in court. And Fox 8 was there, ready with their cameras. Fox 8's investigative reporter, Mike Boudot, reported on the trial extensively. The video was played for the jury. Cheryl McCollins testified that Andre had never been the same since that day he was shocked 31 times. Expert witness psychiatrist Dr. Mark Whaley also testified that Andre had never fully recovered, that when he was shocked, he was not a danger to himself or others, and further stated, quote, There was ample evidence to show that the treatment was harming this individual and certainly not helping him. Going on further to say, there's no reputable psychiatrist, psychologist, that would recommend aversive therapy for acute psychiatric episodes. That was done in the 1800s. Thank you, somebody said it. The defense fired back, stating that they were just following Andre's court-approved treatment plan. Besides, Andre was aggressive that day. This was all court-approved. I mean, what defense did they have? The jury had seen the video. It was time for deliberation. The jury received instruction and were headed off to do what juries do and render a verdict. But that wouldn't be necessary because just hours into their deliberation, a confidential settlement was reached between the McCollins and the Judge Rotenberg Center, both sides claiming victory. David O'Connor, attorney for JRC, spoke to Fox 8. Boudot asked if the settlement was an admission that the JRC did something wrong. O'Connor responded, quote, Not at all. Quite the contrary. As a matter of fact, we're delighted we got the opportunity to show the jury everything that happened that day. JRC maintained this was treatment, not torture, and they were proud of the amount of attention Andre had received from professionals that day. Did we just enter the twilight zone? Attention is what we're calling it now. Andre's mother, Cheryl, also spoke to Fox 8's Mike Boudot, stating her fight wasn't over. Quote, we talk about terrorism in other countries, but we have it right here at JRC and it needs to stop. The McCollins family had accomplished something no one ever had before. The video was out and being played on national television and it added fuel to a fire that had been burning for years regarding not only the electric skin shocks at JRC, but also the use of restraints and seclusion rooms on disabled students in general. The problem was widespread. Disabled children were, and still are, literally dying in schools and institutions intended to educate and protect them. According to ABC News, the Coalition Against Institutionalized Child Abuse an advocacy group used public records to tally 75 child deaths between 1988 and 2006 that stem from the improper use of restraints. A California disability rights organization, Protection and Advocacy, Inc., counted 39 deaths in just that state between 1999 and 2007, all resulting from the use of seclusion or behavioral restraints. A 2009 study by federal auditors reported hundreds of instances between 1990 and 2009 where improper restraint led to injuries, and another study that same year by the National Disability Rights Network 
chronicled dozens of specific cases of young children, many of them autistic, being suffocated or badly injured while being improperly restrained. At the time, California Representative George Miller proposed legislation that would create a uniform standard on restraint for the nation's schools, but it had failed for three whole years to even receive a committee vote. And although the legislation wasn't just directed at the Judge Rotenberg Center, you know they didn't miss a chance to respond. This time, instead of JRC issuing a statement themselves, parents who had children at the school did the talking for them. In a letter published by ABC News, Marie Washington, president of the Judge Rotenberg Educational Center Parents Association, back in 2012, wrote, We, as parents of the children and adults of the Judge Rotenberg Educational Center, support the modification of language in the proposed federal legislation to allow for aversive behavior interventions, including restraint, for students with diagnosed severe behavior disorders, to protect our children's right to a free and appropriate public education under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. The interventions are only used after all other treatments and less restrictive alternatives have been tried and failed. Our children have endured lives where they are either a danger to themselves, family members, staff, or fellow students, or even to passerby. The solutions our children have been offered other than at JRC are full-time physical or chemical restraint so we are very well aware of the important nuances of what we are asking for in the language of this legislation. The right to choose the appropriate and safe treatment for our children when nothing else has worked must remain an option for the small percentage of children for whom this is a matter of life or death. Our children exhibit severe behavioral disorders and have done unimaginable things to themselves and others, but we made the decision not to give up on them. When the doctors told us nothing else could be done other than sedation and life in a psychiatric hospital, would you want a bureaucrat in Washington deciding what healthcare treatment you or your family members receive? We understand the video ABC is airing of a student from 2002 is difficult to watch, but it is in no way an example of the highly successful education and treatment that occurs every day at JRC. The student in the video went home for a visit and was taken off the court-approved skin shock treatment by his mother, which caused him to severely regress. For seven months, he made unprecedented progress at JRC, where his aggressive and self-injurious behaviors were brought to zero or near zero levels. He averaged one two-second skin shock treatment a week as opposed to being on massive doses of drugs or physically restrained, which had been his life before his mother sought a place for him and aversive treatment at JRC. The incident on tape was 10 years ago. Treatment is done differently today. The treatment would have been suspended much sooner than it was, and the student would not have been on a four-point restraint board receiving skin shock. It's important to note that the sole reason the recording exists is because JRC maintains cameras in every room where a student may receive treatment and is the only such facility to do so. This was instituted by JRC over 20 years ago of their own accord for the protection of the students in their care, 
and to enable staff and parents, if they choose, to review applications of the GED and to learn from them. We love our children and support the committed staff at JRC that work to find the best ways to serve our children and to manage their behaviors to a level where they are no longer causing severe injury and pain to themselves. Our children are learning. They are spending time with family and friends. They are happy and safe, and as parents, that is all we could hope for, and JRC provides us with it. So the only two options are heavy drugs or torturing disabled people? Those are the only two options. And it's Cheryl's fault her son was shocked for absolutely no logical reason and not the eight plus so-called professionals in the room who actually administered the shocks. Cool story, bro. I'm going to say this again. We don't even allow parents to abuse their children. We jail them. I can't with this. It's all about enough to gag a maggot. And with that, we're all out of time. Next week, you'll hear what life was like on the inside from an actual survivor of the Judge Rotenberg Center. As always, you can find more information on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Believe me, you don't want to miss next week. More information can also be found at AutisticHoya.net. Lydia Brown has done an amazing job of creating a living archive of Judge Rotenberg Center's abuses. I'll link that in the show notes. So much information can be found there. You can also go to Occupy the Judge Rotenberg Center on Facebook. The folks at Occupy the Judge Rotenberg Center have been at the forefront of this battle for over two decades. Thank you for listening. We need to end this nightmare for those still suffering at JRC. Today, I leave you again with the amazing Jennifer Masumba and her original song, Dandelion. Take it away, Jen. I know I've got a crooked smile and my feet turn out when I walk. I know I always have a stain on my shirt and my S's sound funny when I talk. I know I tend to repeat myself, but would it count if I only said it once? I wrote the song so I could see myself in the verse, in the chorus, and it goes like La 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 la, I'm a dandelion weed. La 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 la, painted orange, yellow, see. La 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 la, yeah, they don't want me on the green, but yeah, I come back every spring. Wearing tomboy kind of girl Got my own way of being and I like to smile So if you wanna laugh, let's hang a while I like my oatmeal cold and my coffee hot I get angry fast but I forgive a lot I gave my heart to God in 2004 I don't tend to dwell on the past anymore La 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 la, yeah I'm a dandelion weed La 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 la, 